Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson, who is on time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just remind everyone <laughs> about my epic blunder. <laughs> Can't let a good one like that go to waste. No, that's fine. It's just got to, you know... Milk it for all of its worth. How are you? The, how are you doing this morning, Wilson? You know, I I am fantastic because I'm honestly I've never been happier knowing that there are lots of people in Queensland crying right now. Oh, yes, like, indeed. After the biggest origin smashing in history. Oh, so <laughs> good, so good. Like. I, I'm I'm pretty patriotic in in the sense that like you know this is something my dad told me he he grew up in uh, in a small town called Toronto in New South Wales and it's in the Newcastle region he's like listen mate you only have you only you only go for one there's only one people you can go for it's Toronto Newcastle New South Wales Australia and if it comes to it Earth but like that's <laughs> it like that's you, the, you, that's you the don't order of yeah, of, of patronage, yes. of of who you support, and and it's basically like whoever you support is the geographically like closest to you. That's that's who you go for. Purely so. geography. So we did have this text message that came in the other day. It was a gratefulness text message. Mm-hmm. Somebody wanted to uh, Julie from Townsville wanted to share what she's grateful for. She says that she's grateful for Lyle, for Lloyd, and for Gary. And then she asked this question: Do I support New South Wales for state of origin? Because I think that she's sort of thinking that, okay, these people are all in New South Wales. Well, just Lyle is in New South Wales. Lloyd is in Sydney, Mm -hmm. but he's just like the most hardcore Maroon supporter ever. Gary's in South Australia, so they didn't even have that game over there. They play Aussie Rules, (laughs) which is actually a better game. But anyway. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, let's jump into some positively different news. Well, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got a question for you this morning. Yes. What do the two oceans say to each other? Um, um, the, what did the two oceans say to each yeah. other? I, I have no idea. Nothing. They just smiled and waved. Uh, <laughs> no. It's just the cringe. No. Like the, no. Just no. The, no, 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 why? That's a classic joke. Why? That's awesome. Okay, no, so we are actually welcoming, we are waving into existence uh, since yesterday a new ocean. Really? Did you know this? Can you name all the oceans? No. Already? No. Really? No. What about, okay, there's only four. What do you mean there's only four no- oceans? Yeah, check it out. There's only there's The Atlantic only... Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, mm-hmm. the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, you're close. I am. Yeah, yeah. You've got three. I do. Yeah, it's, the, th- it's the opposite of the New Ocean, which is the Arctic Ocean. Okay. Yeah, and then other things that we would say are oceans, like well, we've just got places like the Mediterranean Sea. Yeah, they're all the rest of them are seas. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. There you go. There's only four oceans, There's only but four now we, oceans. We, now we have a fifth. Cool. The world is changing, Lyle. Literally, climate yes. change. There is a new ocean. Uh-huh. It just uh-huh. no. Just kidding. They've just reclassified. Uh, essentially, they've what they've called the Southern Ocean, the ocean surrounding Antarctica itself. They have made its own official ocean. I thought it was always called the Southern Ocean. No. 
never been called the Southern Sea. No, well, it's it's not. It wasn't an ocean before. It was just like under the branch. How do you of draw the, the boundary of- for an ocean? Okay, so this this is exactly what people were asking, and this is what I have the precious, delicate answers to, Lyle. Essentially, the difference between the Southern Ocean and other oceans, uh, the reason they can classify it as a new ocean, um, is because of the, the difference in the water, essentially. See, the Southern Ocean that runs around Antarctica itself... Is not as wet as the Pacific? Well, no, it's much colder, firstly, and it's much less salty, secondly. It has a very strong current that consistently runs, like its own defining current that doesn't bleed into the other currents. And the point of that current is to draw hot water away from Antarctica. So, therefore, they've gone, okay, this is its own ocean. It does its own thing. It protects its own landmass. Therefore, we are going to classify it as its own and the new fifth ocean. This is going to really mess with a lot of school kids. School kids, trivia nights. Yeah, that's just going to, like, which textbook do I read? This one that was written last year or this one? It'll be 30 years before it gets into textbooks anyway. Yeah, yeah. And, and High school I, science lags real science by 30 years. Oh, we need yeah. to recognize that. Something like that. But it's just essentially like, look, it's... It's a new ocean. It's called the Southern Ocean. Well, it's that's around cool. Antarctica. Like they're like uh-huh. the three pa- main points. So if you're ever like going, if you're ever you know skirting around Antarctica in a boat and or the helicopter or something, you're like, hey, look at that. That's not you know the Atlantic, Indian, Arctic, or Pacific Ocean. That's the Southern Ocean. Man. I wonder how they draw the boundary of that. Does the boundary follow the current? Like I, the I edge believe, of the current. I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wonder where they draw the boundary between, say, the Pacific and the Atlantic, you know, around Cape Horn there. Mm. Uh, is, there a, is there is there actually a boundary in the water? Well, they usually do, like, landmass it's associated to as well, like closest to, because they kind of draw so, natural so they, boundaries. They, they draw a boundary between, the, uh, between Cape Horn and that uh, big peninsula that comes off Antarctica then, just sort of between two closest points maybe? Mm, yeah, essentially. Straight line? Yeah. Arbitrary? Straight line. Yeah, ar- dude, it's just, are, it's just water. The oceans are arbitrary. There's no, like, like yeah, as I mentioned before, there's small differences, but particularly... I mean, when- the Tasman Sea. Think about the Tasman Sea, for, uh-huh. for, for instance. Uh-huh. It's, it's the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. It's the Tasman Sea. Well, it's the same well, as, Well, the Coral like, Sea. How do you even define the edges of the Coral Sea? It's the same as, like, any ocean that's, like, on the equator, like, no matter how west or how east... Yes. Like, it's just all the same water. It is. 100%. <laughs> so. Ah, uh, we as human beings are strange creatures. Yeah, well, we I. love to put things in boxes. Well, I think, like, the we, biggest. We just can't live without putting things in boxes, can the we? The biggest thing that I, that I read for these people, the reason why they're putting it into, into a box is because it actually needs to be treat, treated differently as, an, as its own ecological uh, platform. Right, like out exclusive to the other oceans, it has its own animals, it has its own systems, uh, and therefore they're like, "Look, this is we need to we need to deal with this accordingly. We need to give it some respect. We need to let the whales know, yeah, hundred percent, crossing that they're not they're crossing a boundary. When they head, yeah, and they're, and they're, they're head up from the they're, they're heading up. I think they're heading up. Yes, they're heading up from the uh, from the southern ocean at the moment. Yeah, when they're heading up, we need to yeah, we need to tell them that there's a new border there. We're gonna have yep. to get there. Put a big sign up. Welcome to the Pacific Ocean. They're going to have to get their, you know, COVID, you enjoy, COVID you, passports. Hope you out. enjoy your stay. <laughs> Good times. All right, I just wanted to talk about something really quickly. Last it's going to be warm. Couple of <laughs> last couple of. I think they can sense that. I think they're just like, oh, it's warmer now. I guess I'm not in the Southern Ocean anymore. Maybe they already knew. I think. I think that's why they already knew. All right. So, okay, this story was 
epic. Like, this is so genius. So, um, polystyrene, which is the, uh, essentially the, the material that we use to make everything from you know, food containers when they come from the shop to packing peanuts, um, about, Three million tons. Oh, where did I read this statistic? I think it was three million tons. It was a lot of polystyrene uh, goes into land waste. This is oh yeah, three million tons of polystyrene go into land waste um, in just in the U.S. every single year. But worldwide, like, is a massive amount, and it takes literally hundreds of years to break down. It is like a, a huge polluting factor. Like it, it, it like. It's terrible. It, cre- it contributes to lots of waste. Yes. But this scientist in the Netherlands was just sitting at the movie theater one day and he's watching a movie and he's eating popcorn and he's like, wait, popcorn has very similar consistency to polystyrene. This is true. In fact, it could function as packing peanuts. Yes. And therefore, this is just the, the most Oh, so we're going to get all of, our, all of our packaging coming in popcorn now. Well, out so of... So you open your packaging, you take your packages out, and then eat your popcorn. No, you eat the packages. <laughs> no, 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 okay, so that would, that was my first thing, but then I'm like, oh, man, that's kind of gross. Like, it's just popcorn. Obviously, they're not going to drench it in butter and salt, but what, they, what he realizes is like, wait, if... Popped corn has the same consistency as polystyrene packing peanuts. Then why don't we make packing peanuts out of corn? And so this is genius. So what he's then done is he's contacted companies in Europe, other companies, you know, corn uh, manufacturing-based companies who make things like corn flakes and uh, all these types of things. And he's gone to them and said, this is what I want to do. And they've already come up with a working prototype, which is made completely out of corn waste. Nice. So basically, you make corn flakes or whatever. You have all these all this waste left over. You chuck it in the oven, in the steamer, and it pops. And, you know, and then you, you condense it. it all together, chuck it in a package, and send stuff around. I just want my stuff to turn up in popcorn. Yeah, okay, that would be, that would be epic. I think, I think next time I ship something, I'm going to pack it in popcorn. <laughs> it's going to be so amazing. I just want to see what it look on the other person's face at the other end when their products arrive. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. What's happening? What's happening in current news? Okay, so in current news, uh, of course, this week is National Palliative Care Week. Okay. Mm. So this is the week when in, in which we are encouraged to think about and obviously, you know, be supportive of people who are in palliative care or palliative care supporters. Mm. And so, you know, they have these kinds of events to help us to recognise that there are people within our community that are suffering and people that are providing for those people who are suffering and uh, dealing with end-of-life issues. Mm. Well, South Australia has chosen National Palliative Care Week to do away with palliative care. Oh, wow. Well, not how, quite like that. Not how, quite like that. It's okay, an overstatement. Okay, 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 it's a okay, massive okay. overstatement. Uh, but to pass their uh, suicide-assisted suicide bill, mm. their euthanasia bill. Uh, so that just passed through the uh, South Australia Lower House last night. This is after the 17th attempt in 26 years. And so this is kind of how it works. If you have an agenda and it's a terrible agenda and nobody wants it, all you have to do is just keep bringing it back enough times until sooner or later it will pass. Mm. 
which is a terrible tactic, but anyway, it's a tactic that has been shown to work over and over and over again. Um, it was passed last night after a six-hour debate uh, with 33 to 11, and we can see this as being a major uh, disappointment for people of faith. But at the same time, there were some some very, very significant victories that were won, and we, you know, we probably should highlight some of those victories that were won. And probably the most major of them was that there was amendment included in it that stated that um, private hospitals are allowed to have conscientious objection. Okay, so Calvary Hospital in South Australia, which is a Roman Catholic hospital. Or if you were to have something similar in New South Wales, which I think we're going to have this debate sooner or later in New South Wales, you've got you know your largest private hospital in New South Wales is Sydney Adventist Hospital. Mm. Uh, these are hospitals that are faith-based hospitals. It's common to have faith-based hospitals around Australia, and they are able to uh, be conscientious objectors and not participate in mm. voluntary euthanasia. Okay. Mm. And this was after uh, a paper was released, an anonymous paper, of course, cowards, uh, from Wellbeing South Australia arguing that it should not be allowed to, you know, conscientious objection should not be allowed. The, now, the worrying thing about this, and, and, you know, every time we see this passed in Australia, say, you know, uh, Victoria, Tasmania, etc., we're told, you know, these are the most conservative uh, versions of voluntary euthanasia that there are in the world. Well, the reason that they're the most conservative is because they're the most recent. Mm. All euthanasia bills start off incredibly conservative, but when you get 20 years down the track, you know, you go to countries like the Netherlands, for instance, yes. where they've been there for 20 years, and now you've got involuntary euthanasia of mentally ill people. Mm-hmm. And all that is is a snapshot, a view into our future, because once we embrace death and once we lose hold of the sanctity of life, it's kind of like, where do you stop? Yeah, 100%. Also, like, you know, in the Netherlands, I've been to the Netherlands before, the age of drinking there is 18, and the age of euthanasia is younger than that. It's like, what? You know? Yeah, we, we, I remember a couple of years ago talking about a story of a 16 year old girl who who went through that. A child. A a child. A child. And it's tragic. And so like, people, people always say there's no slippery slope with all of this kind of legislation. Right. You know, they said there was no slippery slope with the same-sex marriage debate, you know, some years ago, and look where we are now. Mm. You know, you can't even pray certain kinds of prayers anymore. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the whole argument that there is no slippery slope, anyone who is a student of history knows that is an absolutely false argument. Yeah. An argument that has never stead, stood the test of time. Mm. Okay, so the other uh, interesting story that has come out this morning is uh, research from the Australian Australia Talks National Survey, mm-hmm. which uh, interviewed 60,000 people across Australia to get a bit of a snapshot of how Australians think. And what's interesting about the Australia Talks Survey is not so much the results of the survey, although they are very interesting and very telling about who we are as a nation, but how they have emphasised the difference between men and women. Oh, okay. And the difference between how men and women actually think, mm. which is kind of interesting mm. in a world where we are continually be, being told there's no difference between men and women, mm-hmm. everybody's the same, everybody has the same 
uh, capabilities and talents and you know abilities and, and whatever else it might be. Everybody can do all of the same things. Everybody thinks the same. Well, this has emphasized the fact that actually men and women think very, very differently from each other. Well, and who uh, would have thought? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I, I'm actually shocked. Yeah. I have rocked this morning in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you'd be interested with um, some of the results here. Okay, so walking through your neighborhood at night, uh-huh. do you feel safe? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your what, what, Oh, what's my answer? Yeah, what's your answer? Yeah. 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 81% of men feel safe walking in the neighborhood at night uh, compared to 49% of women. That's a, that's a big difference. That's a significant difference. That's a very significant difference. And you would have to ask yourself the question, why? Well, the question is kind of inf- obvious because there is a physical difference between men and women. Mm. Uh, feminism. Um, 34% of men said that they were feminists. And 69% of women. Okay. Which yep. is interesting. Fair enough. Uh, if you would date somebody who was significantly younger than you, men, that was 86%. Women was 63%. I was actually surprised at how high that was for women. That's That's really high for men. Yeah. <laughs> go, ladies. That's, uh, yeah. There you go. Um, dating somebody who was significantly older than you, and this one was interesting as well. 68% of men, 73% of women. Wow. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, I think for everybody, the key there will be the word significant. Mm-hmm. How do you define that? Mm-hmm. Uh, discrimination. Does discrim- Is discrimination a problem for Australia? Uh, 25% of men said yes. 89% of women. Wow. That's probably one of the biggest uh, mm. Gaps, yeah, that's huge. Right here in the uh, in the stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you date someone on the right wing of politics? Uh, for men, that was thirty five percent, and for women, it was sixty one percent. Would you date someone on the left? The split was men to women, seventy eight percent to seventy five percent. So it seems that the left of politics is seen as being less controversial mm. or less divisive in the home. I should say with yeah, a domestic yeah, yeah, relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, allegations of sexual assault are nearly always true. Men, forty percent of men agreed. Sixty-nine percent of women agreed. Mm. Uh, another, That's lower than I thought. Me too. To be honest, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I I agree with you there. Uh, cultural cultural diversity is important. Uh, men said. Uh, men, forty-three percent of men said. It was important. Sixty-five percent of women said it was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, equality in the workplace. So, is uh, the, is it important to have just as many uh, women leaders as men leaders? Uh, men. Fifty-two percent of men said that said yes, and seventy-seven percent of women said it was important to have mm-hmm. just as many women as leaders. Okay, so here's a here's a more gnarly one. Women are better leaders. Okay. Seventeen percent of men said women are better leaders. Thirty-eight percent of women said that men are better leaders, and fifty percent said there was no difference at all. Okay. Um, but yeah, quite a, quite a gap gap there. So they've got a whole bunch of the different things here. Um, porn. Nine, uh, only nineteen percent of men uh, say that they never watch porn, and and sixty percent of women say they never watch porn. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, cancel, cancel culture, um, cancel a celebrity. Seventy-one percent of men would would not do it, and fifty-two percent of women would not do it. Lots of interesting stats mm. coming out. Just a bit of a commentary on our society. It's always good to look at these kind of things to understand the culture in which we live, because that's the culture as Christians that we reach out to. Yeah, amen. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning all the way from the United States is Jeff Zaremski. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Now, Jeff, I want to talk about a book that you've written this morning and introduce this book to our listening audience. This book is called Depressed People of the Bible. And when I first read the title for this book, of course, the first thought that goes through your mind is, well, no one in the Bible was ever depressed. What are you talking about? Until uh, until you actually stop and think about it. And yes, there are a lot of depressed people in the Bible and lessons that we can learn from that. What was it that inspired you to write this book? Well, two things. Uh, one, like you mentioned, it, it seems odd, and yet there are a lot of people. And another thing, a uh, number of years ago, uh, my mother was depressed, and she was counseling with a, with a Bible counselor, and he used a person that is in this book uh, from the Bible uh, to help her. And so then as I continued on life and reading the Bible, I saw there were a lot of people that uh, experienced depression. That's amazing. Now, when you go to research something like this, how do you actually? You're obviously somebody who uh, who understands a little bit about depression and so forth. You've had you know a close family member that has been depressed, um, and so this is this is something's been very close to you. How do you actually go about diagnosing someone's depression in the Bible? Okay, so what I used for that was there's a. Um Dr. Neil Nedley, and he's put together Nedley uh, Depression Recovery Program, and uh, and so he put together. He was actually a, a cardiologist, um, but he's trained in you know researching and diagnosing and getting to the root of the problem. And so a lot of his patients were depressed, and he had to then make sure that the medication he's recommending for the heart didn't conflict and that type of thing. And and so it got him researching about depression and. And he came to the conclusion that if a person has, there are like 10 hits that will cause depression. And if a person has uh, four or less of those hits, they can still be hit with it, uh, but not be depressed. And when a person gets above that, they will fall into depression. And then there's situational depression and clinical depression. And so I applied those four things, or those 10 hits, to people that I was reading through the Bible and reading uh, and looking at their depression and comparing it with those hits. And, and so that's kind of the basis there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very good way of approaching it. And when we talk about you know depressed people in the Bible, and I want to talk about a few examples in just a moment, but um, I guess the, the, the question that goes through my mind is, do we have examples in the Bible of people who suffered from depression and were healed from depression? Well, that's the interesting thing, that we have some that were healed and some that were not. So that's the beautiful thing of the Bible. It doesn't uh, hide anything, right? It's not like uh, someone writing their own uh, autobiography and leaving out all the negative stuff or, or, or someone writing a biography about someone and wanting to only, you know, praise them. Uh, the Bible lays it out. So even the stars are so-called, you know, famous people of the Bible. Um, the Bible lays it out. They're, they're all their 
you know, problems, all, all, all the grease on their face. And, and so it, it lets it out. And, and the people themselves were very real, um, who expressing their own thoughts and their own even suicidal thoughts. There were several that were suicidal who recovered from it and some who did not. Um, and so, yeah, the Bible paints that out for us and, and, and gives us a very clear picture of what was going through their minds. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's sort of one of those things that, um, you know, it goes through my mind is that, you know, the, the ancients, when they made their records, they never recorded history. They just recorded victories. But the Bible is very different in that mm-hmm. it records real people living real lives. You mentioned that some of them were even yeah. were, were so depressed that they were even suicidal. Maybe we should talk about some of these right. individuals. Um, can you give us, you know, some examples of some people who really struggled with depression, and some examples of some people who overcame depression? Okay, so for the suicidal, and and using that suicidal kind of lightly, because sometimes they're just wishing they were dead, uh, or even praying that they were never born. Right, but that's pretty close to the point of I'm, I'm wishing I'm not alive. Right, so sure. they might not be standing there, you know, uh, with pills in their hands ready or or a gun at their, at their head, but, uh, but they're, 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 they're contemplating this would be better off if I wasn't here. Uh, so we have Moses. Moses prayed for God to take him, uh, that he wished he would, you know, uh, take my life. Um, David also. Um, uh, Jeremiah was uh, had very depressed suicidal thoughts, uh, wishing he was never born. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, there was Judas, who, who actually did it, and Saul, who uh, King Saul, who also uh, uh, not only had suicidal thoughts but committed suicide. Saul's an interesting character because you really see his mental health deteriorate. You know, in my view, uh, during the reign, dur- during his reign, where he sort of he, he starts off in a good place, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's prophesying, and it kind of slides it seems like in an irreversible direction just going downwards until, yeah, he dies at his own hand. Right, right. But the Bible does show us little warning signs along the way and how God's mercy and grace, he had lots of opportunities to be able to turn away from that depression. And very interesting because he's, he's written in the Bible with David, right? So they're, they're contemporaries, they're, they're interacting in the same stories. And both of them have uh, some of the same reasons for it to be being depressed. Um, both of them were, had suicidal thoughts, but David overcame and he didn't. So they're a wonderful comparison of what works and what doesn't. Yeah, and, and you know, they were contemporaries of each other. They were, you know, the first king, the second king, you know, one follows the other. Both of them commit some terrible sins. You know, when you look at, when you look at these two stories you could argue that the sins that David committed, you know, murder, uh, possibly rape and so forth, were far worse than what Saul did. You know, Saul spares the life of Agag. But their reactions to being approached by God and their conscience being pricked were very different. Yes, exactly. That's where they diverge. Mm. One resists the, the conviction and one yields to the conviction. Okay, so I haven't I haven't had the opportunity of reading your book yet. It was recommended to me by quite a number of people, and so I'm like, yeah, I want to talk to the uh, to the author of this book and and get a hold of it and, uh, and and have a read sometime. But we're talking about here two people that were contemporaries of each other, working in the same kind of field. 
I'm wondering when we come to the New Testament, you mentioned Judas. Were there any of the other disciples that suffered from depression? Well, uh, not necessarily the disciples being as mentioned, but there is a person who's a contemporary of Judas, who I have a chapter in the book about, uh, who was did experience depression, and that's Jesus himself. Now that's going that's going to be controversial. All right, tell us about that. Well, because depression is not sin, right? So we know that Jesus didn't sin, and depression is not sin in and of itself. There are sometimes, there are many things that can lead to, to depression. Some of them are sinful, some of them are not. Uh, and uh, But even if there are sinful tendencies or sinful actions or desires or thoughts that lead to depression, the depression itself is not the sin. It's yes. just a... Uh, constellation of symptoms that are triggered because, again, in some cases, sin. But it, in Jesus' case, it wasn't sin that led to his depression. It was situational depression. It was grieving. It was the loss he experienced a few different times. Uh, he was grieving when his friend's cousin John died. And we see him leave, and he goes out into the wilderness with his disciples to try and spend some time alone and go through that grieving when he hears of his death. And then the multitudes follow after him. Uh, we have him in Gethsemane, and he is uh, sweating blood. His blood pressure is so high uh, under the stress that he's on, and that's a state of depression there. Uh, wasn't long-lived um, because he surrendered, and he gained the victory, but three different times. Um, and of, of praying, not my will, your will be done, struggling with that, struggling with that conviction. So, and then he grieves, he grieves for eternity, uh, those who will not be in heaven. Um, and that's a type of grief, and grief is a stage or type of depression. That's really probably one of the most encouraging things that I think you've said in a, in a strange kind of way here in this interview, and that is to recognize that Jesus suffered with this while he was here on this earth. And that, you know... When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about somebody who came to this earth and who lived his life, lived as a human being so that he could relate to what we are going through in everything that we go through. And I think a lot of people who are listening to our station this morning who struggle with depression will be very encouraged to know that they're not alone in this. Jesus stands right there with you and he puts his arm around you and he says, look, I've been there, I've gone through this, I can get you through this. That's right. Right, exactly. I, I guess probably one of the other uh, occasions that would, um, you know, and I was kind of shocked when you said Jesus, but I really appreciate the fact that you did. But uh, he he also mourns at the tomb of Lazarus. That's right. That's right. But he's not mourning for Lazarus in that case, um, or himself, uh, as he was with John. Not maybe not uh, mourning so much for John, but he's mourning his own loss, which is you know very real um, and very normal and natural, and that's good. There's, there's good stages of depression. Again, it, it's good to grieve. It's good to go through the stages of grief. There's actually several people, uh, Naomi, who goes through grief, and Martha and Mary with that Lazarus story. So there's a chapter on, on them and, and Jesus in that same context of Lazarus. And they're all grieving a little bit differently, where Martha and Mary are grieving their loss. And Jesus is not crying, right? Jesus weeps, the shortest verse in the Bible. Um, but he's not weeping for himself uh, or the loss of Lazarus. He's weeping for the people 
uh, because they are without hope and they are. So he's weeping with compassion for what uh, Martha and Mary have just gone through over those last four days. Uh, but then also as he looks at through the multitude and, and sees many of them faking it, or maybe not many, but some of them, or at least there, are just paid mourners and are just faking it. Uh, and then just humanity as a whole as he thinks of death and loss. Mm. And so he weeps with humanity. He weeps with us. Absolutely. Um, here's a question that pops into my mind. Thomas, the disciple Thomas, did he suffer from depression or just skepticism or was he just a bit of a downer? What, what's what's Thomas's story? Where does he fit in? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I hadn't really thought about Thomas, but uh, he, he does suffer from the doubt. Um, he does suffer from the disappointment of, of not being there. Right? <laughs> he just shows up to everybody the, else. And the not only me, one left you know, out, and yeah. He could have made, yeah, so feeling left out. Um, but we really don't have enough about Thomas. There's very little written about Thomas. That's where it's great. We have like lots of on David's whole life and, and, and uh, uh, a lot on Elijah, a lot on Ahab, a lot on uh, Joseph. So there's a lot of people in the Bible that the Bible gives us a long history of. Thomas, we only have very few verses. Yes, for sure. Okay, so we've got a little bit of time left. Out of all of the depression stories that you find in the Bible, uh, and those that those that were able to work through it to overcome it, uh, what would you be your favorite story and why? Yeah, well, I'm thinking maybe two people. Uh, David, because David, you know, a lot of times we don't think of David because he's king and he's famous, and, but he went through a really rough time. Uh, he was rejected as a child. You know, for all of us who've had uh, rejection in our childhood, he was, when you think about it, here. The prophet is coming to his house. And so I'd imagine his father had a big meal for the prophet. He had all the boys shower or bathe or whatever, get in their best clothing. You know, this is exciting. The prophet's coming to our home. And where's David? He's left out with the sheep. His dad didn't even bring him home to meet the prophet. Couldn't he find a sheep sitter for a night, you know? Uh, And so this kind of a rejection there. And I'd imagine that was not the only occasion, because then when his brothers are fighting against Goliath, or at least not fighting against Goliath, uh, uh, Jesse sends David to go bring them some food. David obediently goes, and he brings them some food, and the first words out of his brother's mouth are, what are you doing here? Did you just come to see the excitement? Uh, who's taking care of your sheep, the little sheep out there? You know, so they're taunting him, and I'd imagine they heard that kind of talk or that kind of attitude from their father. So you got this rejection from his brothers, this rejection, neglect from his father, and that's what he grew up with. And then we read his, his Psalms, which he just pours out his heart and just really lets us know how he's feeling, um, and the struggles that he went through, and yet he overcome it. So David's just a classic. Uh, Jonah's a classic example of, of depression, really classic, uh, you know, storybook case. And then I like Joseph, because Joseph should have been depressed, and that's why there's a chapter on him in, in the book. Uh, but he doesn't become depressed. He's rejected by his brothers, disappointed time and time again, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison, uh, promised to be helped, and then neglected for two years by the cupbearer who never tells uh, for two years the Pharaoh about him. And so he's also rejected and neglected and, 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 and has a really rough time. But we never see 
and we have basically his whole life written out for us. Even when he's the second in command of all of Egypt, the Bible says that the Egyptians wouldn't eat with him because he was a foreigner. So here he is, again, second in command, and he's eating alone. I mean, you talk about loneliness, uh, isolation, and uh, and yet he never, no record of him even coming close to any uh, depressed feelings. I'm sure he was tempted by them. I'm sure that uh, it came to his mind, but he obviously resisted it by the principles that we bring out uh, in the book uh, to help people from the Bible, to help us to overcome the temptation to be depressed too. Jeff Zaremski, I think this is an amazing um, book that you've put out, and I think there will be a lot of people who will be very, very interested in it. I noticed that it's available on your website, uh, jewishheritage.net, and uh, I imagine... Yes, but that would be hard to ship to Australia. So there are some Australia bookstores that have it. Uh, There's Kurong. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, you are. Okay, so it's available through Kurong. And then then there's... Yep. And through Word, right? Is that... uh, Yes. Word, um, Word Bookshop. Word.com. Mm-hmm. A.U. Fantastic. All uh, right. So, so yeah, re- re- readily available right across Australia through Kurong, through Word, um, or you can go to jewishheritage.net if you'd like to get a copy of Jeff Zaremsky's book. It sounds like it would be a fascinating read, and I highly recommend it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.